السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. Uh, hope everyone is well. Um, all of the viewers here as well. Um, today, Alhamdulillah, we've got Ian uh, with us in Pearson, um, who embraced Islam in March um, last year. Alhamdulillah. Um, and since then, um, Ian has been working on, you know, his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also he's been helping other Muslims understand their own spirituality as well um, and as well as um, learning about Islam he has his own caravan site and he also he um, he's a responder he's a first um, responder uh, with the St. John's ambulance um, and he does a lot of amazing things mashallah um, and inshallah um, today we were just hoping to find out um, a bit about um, you know the big questions basically like what inspired him to come towards Islam um, and what he even thinks of that question maybe yeah it's quite a loaded question as well Habib um, yeah it's, we were talking about it before we opened the podcast and it was it's a really interesting way to look at things because uh, I, I come to realize that we all really we all really like the idea of having um, cause and effect. So it's a question, that, it's an obvious question that people are going to ask me, why did I come to Islam? Especially at my time of life, I'm 62 years old, and most people at my age would be, would be quite set in their ways. So it's, it's, it's a really pertinent question to ask, why did, why did I come to Islam? And I used to, I, I realised that what I was doing, I was actually making up a story, and it was like a, a, a response that I got better and better at, 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 at saying to people. So I'd, so I'd give the story that I went to Morocco and I heard the call to prayer. It's all real. This is what happened. I, I went to Morocco. I heard the call to prayer. I felt really quite affected by it. I, I, in, my all, in my innocence, I asked um, someone how to say there is only one God in Arabic. Um, La ilaha illallah. Allah. And I thought, at the time, I thought it would just be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's frozen. <laughs> and it really didn't cause. Um, I froze. Am I back again? Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, you you just saying you said it just because yeah, 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 thought yeah. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought it'd be quite a cool thing to do. Um, I, I'm not too sure, you know, why I asked why I asked for it, but I did. Um, and it, it, after a while, it crossed my mind that all these things are just there's something that affected me. Millions of people went to Morocco on holiday. But not everybody came back and immediately converted to Islam. So there's obviously something else going on. And I thought, after a while, I thought, there's not really a lot of point in asking myself this question over and over. And I, I should turn it on its head. And so what I started doing was I started just to use the term, Masha'Allah. And I, I didn't even want to translate that into English. What I wanted to do was... It's, if I could describe adding emotional and spiritual content to a phrase. So rather than translate that into English, each time I've, I felt to myself, why, why have I come to Islam? Why am I here? I just repeat the phrase, Allah, and I let the emotion that I've generated go into that phrase. And so that, that then becomes my explanation. And it's, 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 quite, it's quite suitable. It works fine for me. So what would Allah? work on like how would you um express it would you see something or would you like yeah the way the way that i'd use it in practical terms so mm. I've, I've i've taken some time out because because um uh, steph asked me this you know how is it 
coming coming to Islam, how has it affected you or your daily life? You know, so obviously we all take time out for prayer. So I, I'm making some space in the day in work within work to, to for for my prayer, and it would be very easy to confuse the issue even more and say, you know, why am I making this space? You know, why am I doing this? Why why? So that's when I would use the term Mashallah. It's just it's just a way of negating all that, washing all that aside. And just getting on with what I'm actually there to do. So if you're there to pray, if you're there on your mat and you're there to pray, then why complicate the issue by, by asking yourself why are you there? Just accept the fact that you are there and yeah, do what you're supposed to be doing while you're there. It's, um, it gets back, it gets back to the worst. Yeah, mashallah. That is a mashallah story, to be honest. And uh, it's, it's so amazing that such a concise word has such deep impact. And, you know, it's something that you can feel. It's a, it's a feel statement, if you like. Yeah. yeah. I thought I noticed the Moroccan thobe you were wearing. I wasn't sure in the beginning, but now I'm more sure. You're wearing a Moroccan thobe, right? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, been, I've had it for years. It's, I wear it instead of a dressing gown, to be honest. It's what I wear, it's what I wear around the house, you know. <laughs> oh, Where in Morocco uh, did you go? Yeah. Where in Morocco did you visit? Sorry. Yeah, so... Um, the first time, we, uh, my wife and I went to Marrakesh, but we've also travelled to uh, uh, um, Fez. Oh, Sorry, wow. you still there? Yeah, Fez, yeah. Fez was my favourite of all, um, simply because we, we, we dumped ourselves right inside the city and I just, I just wanted to meet people and, and, and it was just really great. It was, and we also visited um, uh, Muli Idris, which is the home of, of Islam within Morocco. Um, and you, you, unless you're Muslim, you I can't, you can't do, but the, uh, the taxi driver doesn't even want, really want to let you out. Um, so that's somewhere now, now that I would like to go back to, to be honest. So did you go up that mountain? Did you see the mountain of, um, of, uh, 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 Abul Shadili, the one, uh, it's around Fez, I think. Yeah, sorry, you're, you're breaking up, unfortunately. It's around Fez, the mountain where I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, where you know he kept on going up and down the mountain because of his teacher. It's like a, a place where people visit. I think it's around Fez, right? Yeah, there is, yeah, it is. It's just, just outside Fez, uh, Muli Idris isn't far from Fez, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's a really holy place. Yeah. So were you okay? So, all right. So that was your kind of story. So you immediately, so the time you heard the adhan, and that really affected you, and you know, it brought there was something inside you that signaled you towards Islam. Yeah, I, this is the whole thing, though, Imad. It would be very easy. It would be very easy to use that as a reason why I came to Islam. But I, I would I would lay money on the fact that a lot of people hear the call to prayer and find it moving. And I would I would also lay money on the fact that a lot of people would travel to Morocco and find the people really, really pleasant and really warming. But I'm not too sure if that's what would actually convince you to to convert to Islam. And I'm not sure if that's what happened to me. Wow. And just to come back to this term of just replacing the whole thing with Masha'Allah. Yeah, so you believe it's something more than just kind of visiting the place or just hearing the call because everyone Absolutely. hears the call and everyone visits. So it must have been something further 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Interesting. So what were your perceptions of Islam? Obviously, you had uh, you know, a pretty long life, alhamdulillah. Even though you don't look it, you're pretty young. I would say you're in your thirties. Yeah, I've been around. I've been around. The, yeah, I've been around the block a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so you're looking good for it, though. Alhamdulillah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Um, so I, over these years, to be honest, I didn't know anything about Islam. Even what I thought I knew about Islam, it turned out I didn't. I didn't know anything about it at all. And this is what I. This is what I'm finding even more interesting. I'm. This. This is going. But for me, coming to Islam was a way of wiping the slate clean and rewiring my head spiritually. So, and I found this with the lessons uh, in with Habib in Arabic. So a really good example of that uh, as an English person is the term um, uh, Allahu Akbar. Now, if, if an English person said to me, what does that mean? I know what they what they want to know is how does that translate? And I'd have to say, God is great. But in English, baked beans can be great and a football team can be great. You know, my, my day off can be great. Yeah. So so that doesn't that doesn't cut the mustard at all. Yeah. And so then that's not actually what they're asking. They're not asking what does it what does it mean in English? It's a much deeper thing. When you say to somebody, what does that mean? Then you then you you're getting into something much deeper. So again, by, by not translating into English, by, by, by making these new chains of attachments to Arabic words, I could, in effect, start my religious experience from day one again. And, and, and this was a really good one to pick, um, the word Allah. The first time I actually recognised that word was, was seeing it written on the hillside, 30-foot letters in lights above Agadir. And that was the first time I actually recognized the letters of Allah. So my, my first associations with that, with that word and with, with those letters is this massive bright lights and this amazing, is this amazing thing, which is much better than the English attachments that I have to the word God, because that, that goes back to my childhood and lots of really strange things I was told at school and, you know, just real, to me, just this real confused idea of history and religion and, politics all wrong any sense to me whatsoever so, so it's quite, been a great sorry that is quite magnificent you know the in uh, in agade where it says it says i think al-malik al-watan and allah so god king and country actually on that on that's that it yeah that's the one yeah yeah, is, yeah 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 that was the first time i actually recognized the the letters yeah it was uh that was really nice must have been amazing so before you came to Islam, would you say you were neutral about the faith or what were your thoughts regarding it? Did you just not care? Did you not know enough? Were you neutral? I, or did you have like a bit of ill thoughts towards it because of like media and perceptions, etc.? Definitely. Definitely. I would def definitely, if I was if with myself and the rest of the world, I would definitely say I had negative thoughts towards it rather than ambivalent or positive. Um, because, as exactly as you said, the, because of the stuff that streams out the media all the time, it's very easy to just pick up on all the negative side. And so I would honestly say that when I came to Islam, I really didn't know anything about it whatsoever. It was, uh, it's all been a really nice, it's been a really pleasant surprise journey, and it still is. Every time I come to another lesson with Habib, all like tonight on the podcast, 
uh, everything that I do with it is is just a wonderful experience, really. So, so you would uh, say in the last year, you've your life has changed in in a practical sense. The way that yeah. you look at things. Yeah. You well, this interestingly, is... you mentioned about rewiring yourself spiritually. Keep... So do you think, obviously, this is a bit of a di difficult question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. But I usually, no, ask, I usually ask Habib the difficult questions and he just says, oh, yeah, that's a difficult <laughs> question. He identifies it. So I might say that then. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think this spiritual rewiring you could have found elsewhere? Like we know, you know, there's loads well, yeah, of meditation question. techniques, loads of different yeah. ideologies, philosophies in the world. Do you think you could have found this elsewhere? Yeah, that's a, that's that's a really good one. I obviously, as I said, I've been on study life in my twenties. I did a little bit of study of uh, Kabbalah, and through my my interest in martial arts, I've come across a lot of uh, Buddhist practices, um, and I've done a, an awful lot of meditation practices so it's not like i've come to islam completely uh, blank i but mm. I like I think nothing else has um and cool sorry Ian, yeah, i think we we kind of lagged out there with the connection if you just like because right, i think that so it's so important that the thing you just mentioned if you just like to mention it again regarding the martial arts and your blank slate yeah your blank yeah yeah what i was saying was I've, I've 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 studied quite a few things so with the martial arts i studied i went into buddhism and a lot of the meditations because they're connected with the martial arts but nothing grabbed me like islam has Nothing's really, really tugged at me like Islam has. And Arabic language and learning the Quran has definitely enhanced that effect. Um, there's no question of it. The more, the more I read the Quran in Arabic, the stronger the connection seems to get. Um, so what was different? With, so, so what was different in terms of? perhaps the spirituality that was achieved in sort of uh, the reflections behind the martial arts, like the sort of meditation and Buddhism and this sort of, you know, the spiritual states that you achieve in that yes, sort of field. Yeah, the the, the problem that I have, oh, I think we keep kind of phasing in and out. The problem that I have with a lot of the other things that I've been involved in is they seem to imply a separation within within the self. So it, it, it yeah, I'll keep coming and going, don't I? Uh, it seems but, to uh, imply yeah. a separation in the self. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you mean by that? I don't, I don't really understand a separation um, in the self. Yeah, whereas mm -hmm. Islam to me seems all embracing. It, it, it oh, includes wow. the, okay. uh, your physical self, your spiritual self, what you're thinking, what you, the whole thing is one thing, and it's it's a completely different approach to um, what I've, what I've been used to. Interesting. So, in the other sort of uh, methods of spirituality, you've been exposed to the idea of, let's say, sort of. The partitioning oneself is prevalent but islam is just the spirituality is within everything that you do i mean you yeah. can't 
be devoid of that spirituality because in your and that's interesting for me as well to kind of reflect on that because then i think within islam for example me seeking knowledge is a spiritual act me praying is a spiritual act me you know dealing with my daily affairs they are all spiritual actions because they have some beyond that with with ian with ian like even he goes for walks and that becomes a spiritual action like and he tells me about about these like um, and obviously i think like last week when we were speaking about the creation um so we've we done a bit of this in ramadan and we've done it with um, our whole thinking muslims tribe on, on our zoom classes um, and it's kind of actually connecting to the to the creation so like even going for a walk um ian spending time with his family or with his pet um even those things um they actually remind uh, you know i think um, that's something which we, we, I think, Muslims have to try and do as well. You know, to actually increase the reminders which are around us. Um, but yeah, just by extension to what you were saying, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of finding God, if you like, finding Allah in terms of Him being the hands that you touch with, the legs that you walk with, the eyes that you see with, and people have some anthropomorphic connotations to these. Like, what do you mean? How can Allah be my hands how can he be my feet like it's it just they don't understand and I think these hadith are more about experience and you know they need to be understood in a spiritual light and it's like you know uh, the hadith Qudsi I mentioned it before here and it's one of my favorite hadith about when Allah says to a believer he said why didn't you visit me when I was ill and then the believer's like hold on you're Allah how can how can you be ill how can you, you know, you're you're perfect in every single way. You're, you know, you're the creator of the world, worlds. And Allah says, if you had visited the sick, then you would have found me there. So by you visiting the sick, you are actually, you know, finding the divine presence there. And it's all about seeking the divine presence in everything that you do, in every sort of good action and righteous action that you do. And it doesn't have to be, you know, something that has a righteous connotation to it for example the walk a walk isn't generally like seen to be a righteous action i mean it's not something bad but it's not i would say to- beyond this i i would actually say like if you take this seriously enough um your whole life becomes nothing but right actions and that would like that obviously requires a high level of authenticity like even your sleeping like is actually for your energy even your eating is to actually give you energy even the work that you do is to make is to you know visit the sick people is to help people in the world so that way like you and obviously like this would be i'm not claiming this for myself or i'm not claiming this is in any way easy but like your whole life it will create more authenticity like more truth in your life because you'll basically do um what you'd expect yourself to do what you'd want other people to think that you do does, and it's, does that it's make sense? about kind of um righteousifying your mundane actions Everything that you do, if you start it with a good intention, and I think that's the main thing, having a good intention between everything that it be before anything that you do. And I think that by by doing in that in the name of Allah, because oh, by you saying Bismillah, it's an incomplete sentence. Hmm. Sorry, go on, Habib. I interrupted you. I think. So you carry on, man. So I was just going to say, Bismillah is an incomplete sentence in the name of Allah, but the completion of that sentence is in the action that you do. So in the name of Allah, I'm walking. 
today. In the name of Allah, I'm reading this book. In the name of Allah, I'm waking up. In the name of Allah, I'm starting my car. If we have this Bismillah, it actually has a connection between the verbal and the action. So it's like, and I think, yeah. and I think, and I think, if you try and bring more Bismillah in, then you'll end up these evil actions would kind of wean themselves out. Like if you, if, if you're about, even if something was there in your routine, you have a habit which you really shouldn't do. Then Bismillah would like make you think again. Sorry, Ian. Uh, please do carry on. No, I was going to say it's really interesting because if, I, I don't know if you remember her, but some time ago I said I was I was having to go write my own prayers, and mm. and one of the things that I was interested in was this idea of of all action being of the will of Allah, being Masha'Allah. Because so I took the example that uh, before I came to Islam, I would be classed as I wasn't a Muslim. But that must have been the action of Allah. I can't escape. I can't escape it. So it's more. It's more a case of acceptance than I was and now I wasn't and now I am. So when it comes to the the actions of Allah, am I carrying out the actions of Allah or not? It's not really. A, it's not to me. That's not really a question. The question is, am I aware? That I'm carrying out the actions of Allah because ultimately I don't think we can if we can do anything else but because there is there is no way of finding out like for example Imad said to me you know do I feel any different now I'm a Muslim well I don't know because there isn't a me that isn't a Muslim I've got no I've got no one to compare that to because I am a Muslim now yeah there, there might be a path somewhere where I'm not a Muslim, but I'm not on that path. I'm on this path in front of you, and right now I'm a Muslim. So, so, so I, so this, this is why I get back to this term, Mashallah, and why, why I'm attaching so much spiritual and emotional uh, energy to the to the term. And um, this reminds me of a creedal discussion we have in, in you know, in theology about iman being a hal and being a maqam so iman being a, a state or is it a position that you're in so yeah. according to some of the scholars it's a classical debate whether iman is something that is acquired at one time or it's something that was always there for example when yeah. the sahaba were non-muslim some of them and they were on the opposing armies at that time were they in a state of, of kufr, if you like, or were they on the state of iman? So, according to some of the scholars, they were always in that place of faith. And it's just kind of you can't separate that from the individual because they were always going to end up there. And iman is what they were going to end up with. And that's why iman is actually a, a place rather than a state if you like so this is kind of a classical discussion that actually goes off yeah. on your idea as well and this mm -hmm. has been classically discussed and what you were saying that i've got no one to compare to i've got no other path to compare to because i was always going to end up here and it's before the creation of the heavens and the earth this destination was kind of written for you but then comes yeah. the classical discussion we've never really spoken about this here but and i'll ask this question to habib because he hasn't spoken much what how do we understand uh, hardwiring predestination versus free will and the ability of free will to do something. Hmm. Um, this is a difficult question, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's done it again, he's mad. <laughs> okay, now what I'm going to say, now this one, I've, I thought about this a little bit, um, read 
Um, but I think um, there's a level of it which is beyond comprehension. Um, but the idea is that as Muslims, we believe that Allah um, does have the ability um, to know what's going to happen um, and control everything, but also to be able to give choice. So the question is free will. Can somebody have ikhtiyar? Allah can give choice to to the humans in their in their split second. So um, we get the cho- we do make the choices, um, and I don't think because Allah knows that that negates um, the choice that we have. Um, what did you think of that? Yeah, interesting. I think there's always a, an element to it where Pete, the scholars of the past have said anyone that can truly explain the qadr to you has told you a lie because it's beyond comprehension. But mm. that's not entirely true because there are some elements of it which are indeed beyond comprehension because you're like, this is a paradox. But at the mm. same time, I think there is some level of comprehension to it if we, if we kind of think about it. And obviously the sum of the uh, people of the past have kind of warned about delving too much into it because sometimes it can be a futile discussion because what, what would come out of it rather than, you know, just thinking about it because you'd rather, you know, spend your time just thinking about other things. But I think it is important and it's something that we need to kind of be able to reconcile between on a basic level at least. And I, a good way someone explained it to me a long time ago is the whole knowledge versus choice thing so for example uh, i invite habib to my house and uh, you know i i put in front of him two packets of crisps and i know for example he likes uh, you know the thai sweet chili crisps and i have an option for him the thai sweet chili crisps or the thai sweet chili crisps or the salt and vinegar crisps and i know every single time i offer it, offer it to him he's going to go for that and that's in my knowledge because i know him and that me knowing his me kind of having a predestination of his and a previous knowledge and a forecasting of his decision does not negate his choice because he still made that choice to pick it. I don't know every time he doesn't like the sort of vinegar crisp, so he won't pick it. And that's of my limited knowledge of him. So if you kind of zoom, uh, zoom out and think about Allah who has more knowledge of us, he knows us better than we know ourselves, then the question is sort of quite simple that Allah's knowledge envelops all that we do and he knows our choices he knows our kind of inclinations to what we are likely to do and what we are going to do because not just likely he knows ourselves better than we know ourselves so in that way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to have written what would come in the future because we have the belief that الأقلام, الصحف, that the pens have been lifted and the ink is dry in that sense. So we live our life with that belief, but at the same time, we live our life that we have to physically make the choices. We have the choice between A and B, and it's up to us, you know, which kind of road we go down. And in another kind of description, a modern description is as if you're in a video game and the uh, the creators of the video game, which is Allah, has mapped out every single level or every single place in the game that you could kind of explore. But it's up to you to explore that particular path and end up in a particular kind of version. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. This is a really... Obviously, a lot of people have tried to explain it. Um, yeah. I've, that I've... really... Yeah, yes, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say this is really interesting because obviously the first, very first thing I come across in Islam is the first surah and reading uh, to, the, the, to be on the straight path. Uh, that, that threw up that very question straight away because as soon as you ask that, it, it would imply, uh, in, in, my, in my experience and the way I looked at it, it implied that there would be two, two ways I could go. So there was the right path and then there's obviously the wrong path. And 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 I and I again I was out walking and I was thinking about this. So I'm walking down an actual path, okay. And I'm looking around. And I'm thinking how wonderful everything looks. It's really lovely. It's, there's, there's all this stuff going on. The trees look great, and it's just a really pleasant day. And so I, I thought, if I'm going to describe this 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 path to someone, this path that I'm on, okay. So I I start to think about describing the trees and the stream next to me, and it's all great. And I thought that's fine. And I could send somebody down that path. But if they went there at two o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night, they're going to miss all this, not going to see any of it. They're going to wonder what I'm talking about. And I thought, is this really, this could be for me like an explanation of, of the right path and the wrong path. It's not that the path is different. It's not that my, so gets back to myself. It's not that my life has changed because I'm, it's more like it's switching a light on. So, the pathway that I'm on is still the same, but I can tread the path with the confidence of knowing that I'm on that right path. In the same way that when I'm out walking, I have firm belief in the ground is not going to collapse be beneath my feet. I put one foot in front of the other because I've learned from a baby that when I put my foot down, that, that the ground is going to hold my weight. And I was thinking I should have the same faith in Allah. My faith should be so strong that the faith in Allah should be as strong as the faith I have in the ground that I walk on. And that way, I don't have to worry about whether it's the right path or the wrong path, because there's only one path. It's the one that's, that's illuminated in front of me and that I feel comfortable being on. And then, yeah, yeah I, th I thought I, it was I, an interesting... Yeah, I think that's really interesting, man. And just that verse, it's... Another point to keep in mind is that this verse is not just to be recited, like, somebody who's not on the truth like the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself would have recited the same dua like guide him may allah guide him may allah guide the companions um and would we question his level of guidance no but the level of guidance is always kind of going to the next level and that doesn't mean that previously you were like some you know next level deviant um, but the level you're coming to, the, you might be in an amazing place, but there's always a level of unfolding. Um, mm. And that ihdina, we're always asking, oh Allah, guide us. Like, despite how much guidance we might already have, and even the Prophet ﷺ would make this dua. Um, and sometimes like we think, oh, you know, like we're already guided, we're already at amazing places. Um, but realizing that, that what can unfold and the potential, it's, it's from Allah, it's unlimited. Um, I think that can be very powerful. It links on to the metaphor I mentioned maybe several weeks ago. Uh, Jalaluddin al-Rumi, his poetic metaphor about this condition of a human being being such that they have an angel's wings but a donkey's tail. And that's the state of a human being, that you can aspire towards excellence and at the same time be dragged down by your donkey's tail. And I found what you said, Ian, really profound about the, having trust in Allah more than the ground you walk on, and in that sense, being sort of 
not worrying about the path because whatever path is in front of you will be the illuminated path. That is quite poetic in its sense, in itself. Mm. And I think it's quite, you know, profound. And it's something that echoes the words of of uh, a poets like Rumi, who who saw this and they tried to, and they captured it in, in 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 terms of metaphor, in terms of you know fables that they wrote, certain stories which you know we've shared before here. Um, and I think seeing a line, everything—that's I think it's a it's a common. I think it's it's what we can get out of all of these things. Like seeing a light, we're not seeing a physical presence of the divine. It's just experiencing the divine in everything that you do. And I think just the thought of that can excite a person in their faith and you know increase them in faith by yeah, having sort of beliefs and so much of the Quran, so much of the Quran does that exactly. Like it brings our attention to the things which Allah has created. Um, I think yesterday in our Zoom class we were speaking about food. Mm. Like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he speaks about food in the Quran, he speaks about those foods which he's created and like to see divinity within them um, and beyond that even the Prophet وسلم, his diet tended to be those foods which if you looked at them you could see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created it like quite quite simply it wasn't very processed um, and even just that then eating and with the idea that the food's going to nourish you the food's come and if you if you've kind of you know you can see that it's a fruit or it's a vegetable you can see how it's come from the minerals in the ground how Allah's made it grow and you can Therefore, kind of feel the nutrients as it goes in, um, and you can actually kind of—I think that's the whole concept of actually being with the food. When there's all that processing, and we forget how divine the food is, and I think we can lose touch with our food. I'm doing a talk on food on Sunday, so mm -hmm. in the food hype at the moment, and bring. So, Ian, just to segue our discussion onto martial arts, because I know um, from Habib and what you've already kind of discussed a little is that you're very interested in martial arts. Can you tell me a bit about your journey in martial arts? Uh, what what brought you into martial arts? When did you become interested in martial arts and what's done for you in your life? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I I actually started in martial arts um, f over 50 years ago when I was only 10 years old. Um, and at that time, the only martial arts really available in England were, were Jap Japanese orientated. So I started off with uh, judo and karate and... And I knew I, some of my family knew other people that were interested in that sort of thing. So I, I was quite involved with that for quite some time. But about 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I met the, the, the school that I'm with now. And they're basically Chinese martial arts. And that, that has a much more wider scope and it encompasses a lot more than just self-defense. And it, it ties in, a really nice tie-in was I, I teach Tai Chi. And during last Ramadan, it was obviously my first Ramadan. It, we were all in lockdown, and I only had one guy on the park. Um, he was in lockdown with us as well, and he wanted to learn Tai Chi. So I was teaching him Tai Chi every day, and then in the evening going to Habib's reflections on Ramadan. And it was amazing the parallels between the two, because Habib's concentrating on like reciting and the importance of each single letter and making sure you get every letter right. And during the day, I'm trying to teach this guy this huge, great long form, but I want him to get every move right. So, and, and then, of course, we've got the parallels with breathing because a lot of martial arts is about your, your breathing and 
and and also the sort of the spiritual side of breathing as well. As I said, we did brush on it with uh, with Buddhism when we came to the Chinese side of the arts, but it didn't. As I say, it didn't really grab me the way that Islam has. But an interesting side of uh, martial arts that you can reflect on with uh, the spiritual side of things is if you well, people often used to say to me, if you want to be spiritually strong, it's always good to be physically strong because then it's easier to imagine yourself as being spiritually strong because you can feel that physically within yourself. So, for example, if you if you want to defend, if you can defend yourself physically or you can defend your friends physically or even that you think you have the capability of doing that, then you can defend your thoughts and you can defend your religion ultimately with a bit more zeal than maybe others others would. So yeah, it's quite but it's a huge field, martial arts, absolutely enormous. Yeah, that's very interesting that you said the parallels between um the physical fitness and the kind of the physical fitness and the spiritual fitness, if you like, as well. And yeah. if you improve your physical fitness, then it will have this knock-on effect on your spiritual fitness. And I found this as well. Like when, for example, I when I exercise a lot, like, you know, when I go for runs and things, I find it a lot easier to kind of concentrate on my my studies, to kind of concentrate on my spirituality, mm. to get my prayers, you know, in on time and all of these yeah. sort of things because I feel a bit more energized. But yeah. it seems that, you know, if people think, oh, if I'm using my energy to kind of do this thing, then I don't have enough energy left but you're actually creating that energy and you're creating that kind of and it's to do with the chemicals in your body as well you know as a yeah absolutely uh, i would say that but i think it's more more about your mood it does have a, a positive effect on your mood and the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam is reported to have said as well in, in hadith that al-mu'minul qawi wal al-abdul qawi ahabbu ila allah min al-abd al-da'if you know definitely man and i think more than exercise it's um like the food that you eat as well, which affects like the mood and the energy. Um, and I think we focus. So, sorry, you haven't translated the hadith, man. So I, uh, the Messenger sallallahu is reported to have said that the believer who is strong is more beloved to Allah than the believer who is weak. But there is wafi kullin khair. But in both of them, there is goodness. So obviously you can understand that on many many levels, and these were this is one of the statement, the laconic expressions of the Messenger sallam, which are statements which are full and packed with meaning, but are concise in words because we can take several layers of meaning from that. This could be you know alluding to the physicality because you know if you're physically strong, you can do more prayers, you can do more good, right? Yeah. This could be in terms of you know a spiritual fitness as well. Where yeah. you know, if you're strong uh, spiritually, you'd be more beloved to Allah because you'd you'd be able to do more things. So you know, there's layers to meaning of that. Uh, go on, Habib, you were saying. Yeah, I think it kind of, yeah, man. It's, it depends on how someone understands Islam as well. Like um, the responsibility we have to the self, to look after the physical health, your emotional health, um, and obviously, I think even on a more sunnah level, to adopt characters. Like, um, if you want to be somebody who gets annoyed really easily, or do you want to be somebody who can kind of stay calm and a little bit relaxed, even if there's a bit of pressure? Um, like, do you want to give up easily? Do you want to have, or do you want to have, like, some kind of resilience to keep going? Mm. Um, and that's kind of character, that's kind of from an emotional level. Like, if you want to say physical health, spiritual health, even emotional health, as well as mental health, 
um, you know, these are responsibilities we have to ourselves. I think you know, to, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to develop these uh, qualities. And the World Health uh, Organization. I was just saying on your point, the World Health Organization defines, you know, health as not just kind of physical health. It's the complete state of like physical kind of uh, social well-being. So it's 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 your health, your mental health it includes your mental health. It includes like your spiritual health and it includes your physical health as well. So it's just all encompassing in that sense. Your well-being is a part of everything that you do. Habib, uh, if I was you, I would take up uh, Ian's, I would take advantage of Ian's uh, Tai Chi lessons. If I was in Colchester, yeah. I would definitely be down for that. Yeah, I, I, Ian lives just, Ian actually doesn't live in Colchester, but Colchester, I think, is his closest machine. He oh, lives okay. a little while away. So I've not actually had a chance to go and meet Ian at his place because um, it's a little distance away. But um, I definitely did consider that. Um, I obviously did. I don't think I actually, so obviously we spent quite a bit of time together, but I've never really asked him officially. But it's, yeah, it's true, man. I, uh, I actually I actually missed what you were saying. So we, you, oh, you zoomed out. Um, we are wondering how much you charge for Tai Chi lessons. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that, uh, Ian, My, if I lived in Colchester, I would have definitely taken advantage of Ian's Tai Chi lessons. Yeah, I it's it's a that's a loaded question because I don't actually I don't actually charge myself because because my instructor is a professional instructor. When I when I take students on, I generally take them on because they've either been to my instructor and then they're coming for extra lessons with me, or they're a complete new student and I take them on in an amateur in an amateur sense. So I don't normally charge, but and it's interesting though because. Loads of people have said to me, and, and forgive me for saying this, um, but loads of people have said to me, you know, oh, I'd love to come and train with you. So I've got this trick now, I, and I always say to them, yeah, you can you can come anytime. So they say, well, when shall I come? I say, anytime you want, day or night, just phone me, and I will train with you, right? Because what most people want is they want me to say, well, come on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock or come Friday morning at 9. But if I say to them, you can come anytime you like, I know they'll never turn up. <laughs> and nobody ever has. <laughs> in fact, oh, in fact, in the last there. yeah, in five years, I've had one person, and he turned out to be quite a, quite a nice friend actually. And he he reg we regularly train together. But I've had one person that's phoned me and said, "Can I come and train?" And has actually turned up. And and we say as well, the hardest move in martial arts that, and it's the it's the same the world over. The hardest move is getting out the armchair. If you can conquer <laughs> that move. Yeah, you, you can yeah, do up. it. I'm up, now. it. I'm up. I'm up. Yeah, I'm there up. you go. Yeah, yeah. But it's <laughs> it's a bit of, you know it's a bit of a joke, but it is true. It is true. That is the hardest thing is actually getting around to actually doing it. It's um, so in terms of Tai Chi uh, in itself. What does that involve as a beginner and to to uh, like a master in Tai Chi? What would is it sort of the ability to have this strength? Or is it the ability to have the moves to be able to fight? Or what is this particular branch of Tai Chi? Because I don't know much about it. Tai, tai Chi is an interesting one. Ultimately, it's a martial art. But when it first came to this country, because it came over in like the, the late 60s, early 70s, it really appealed to what was then like the hippie population who really picked up on this soft, flowy, like lovey-dovey sort of a idea about Tai Chi, which was completely misleading. That's not what it's about at all. 
Um, but that's what proliferated for many years until China actually opened up and people could actually go there and see for themselves what was involved. That was what most people understood as Tai Chi. What I understand as Tai Chi is I understand it as a martial art that involves using your opponent's force against themselves as much as possible and developing a really strong uh, inner core strength. So it's, it, but it's a huge field. I mean, to try and sum it up in, in just a few words is really difficult, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, 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 there's different families of Tai Chi. There's loads of different forms of Tai Chi. There's Tai Chi weapons. There's forms of Tai Chi fighting that make your hair curl. Yeah. The first time I come across them, they were terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first, the first level of Tai Chi fighting is um, that you basically draw a white line on the floor and each opponent puts, their, puts one foot on that white line so you're both toe-to-toe, -to -toe basically. And then the referee just says, fight. And you, you can't move your feet. You just either push, pull, or oh, palm no. strike you. But you can't go anywhere. You can't run away. <laughs> so and, and it gets worse from that point onwards. It just gets more and more brutal. Because we, we don't see any of this in the, in the West, really. It's, um, most of it's inside China. Have you ever been yeah. to China? No, my, my instructor's taken quite a few people there. Um, in the last five years, he's done massive tours run by the Chinese government who've got involved with him in all sorts of ways, which I wasn't happy with, to be quite honest. And with their reputation with the Muslim world anyway at the moment, it's not somewhere that I'd like to... I, I'm not in any hurry to go there. And I think it's a classic case with myself of being able to... Having the luxury these days, especially with things like the internet and technology of being able to take something from a culture like Tai Chi from China and not have to embrace the culture itself. So I'm, I'm able, there's enough information around for me to be able to disseminate what is martial arts and what is Chinese culture and separate the two out. Um, just take what's useful, really. Um, yeah, take the good and leave the bad. That's it, yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, we've got, um, we've got a few minutes left. We've got four minutes left. Yeah, we're at four to six minutes now. Uh, we've got four minutes left, inshallah. Um, Humaid has sent a question. He's saying, Imad, I hear you started running. Uh, what's the secret? Have you started running, Imad? Though? I have, but it wasn't meant to be public until I made it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention it like briefly. But yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, I, I, start, I tried to be a bit consistent with running, you know. Okay. Um, Humaid's asking, what's the secret to motivation? I would say, Humaid, um, he's asking Imad, I'm going to answer. Um, like the motivation comes after you start, and it's not really something which comes before you start. Like, you don't really have motivation to put your trainers on or to go outside and to, in lockdown, go into the garden or whatever, or wherever you do your working out and, or wherever you're doing your running. Like, motivation doesn't really come. I think most motivation would come once you start. So once you're like, once you've started walking out of the front gate and you've started like down the road, you've got to the end of the road, then you can expect motivation to turn up. Um, and I think the more that you start doing things, and obviously that would apply to working out, but I think it would apply to a lot of, um, a lot of areas um, in terms of the motivation comes when you start, when you start doing it. And I think an element of motivation can be encouragement as well. Uh, like, you know, you have the Strava app that, you know, where you can log your runs and you know for some people it's showing up because they do they can run a, a huge distance in such a short amount of time 
so, but I think for them, it and for myself even, I think motivation is good because on the Strava app, you can give kudos to your friends and you can kind of you know check other people's runs out and see you know go for runs oh, together. Okay. So that's that's a good way. Um, but yeah, uh, do we? Do, you know the thing about, that Ian said about separating Chinese culture from the martial arts and taking the good from it. Uh, I think in a future episode as well, we're gonna we have. Uh, one of my friends, Zaid Amjad, who wrote the, uh, he, he started the petition which reached over 100,000 uh, kind of signs, inshallah. And he will uh, be in, on and talking about more about about this situation in uh, for the Uyghur Muslims and kind of what's happening and what we can do about it. We've got a message from Ian's son, Alhamdulillah, saying, Hi, I'm Ian's son. How much I've enjoyed your conversation, been really interesting and moving talking to my dad about Islam over the last few years. So, so uh, just, uh, thank you so much, Joe, for, for sending that message. Uh, it's very nice to know that you were watching and, and that you enjoyed it. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, thank um, you. Uh, but um, we're basically at the end. I think uh, uh, because I, I, some of my friends are here, uh, I had an unfortunate situation. This has got nothing to do with the podcast, but I left my iPad in a hospital just 25 miles away. So anyone wants to go on an adventure after this, inshallah, we'll go. Because <laughs> <laughs> journeys are always so much more fun if you're together. Don't you think? And adventures are something to be shared. And I think, you know, being going somewhere, I mean, to be by yourself and experience something is nice, but to be able to share that is even nicer. You know, sharing That's the motivation. I guess, I, I guess, from the hadith which you mentioned at the beginning, um, which is like Allah being with the ill person, Allah being with the person in need. Um, like we, the way that, like what you're talking about, is like having this social bond. Like around us, we have all these opportunities to actually create like events, to create these opportunities to kind of uh, you know meet with other people. Um, and part of that is the compassion. Like that that's kind of the motivation. Like the motivation might be the hadith where the Prophet says that Allah says that I'm at the ill person or at whoever's in need. Sorry, I've got somebody. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. not just it's not just. Sorry, I just mentioned the bit about the ill person. The hadith extends further. Allah says, "Why didn't you give me clothes when uh, when I didn't have any?" And then the believer says, "How can I clothe you?" You you're beyond that. It's like I can't compare you to a human being. And Allah says, Well, if you gave the person clothes who was in need, then you would have found me there. Allah says, Why didn't you feed me when I was hungry? And the same conversation kind of envelops. And Allah says, If you gave the person food who was hungry, you would have found me there. So the divine presence is found with the people in need. And I think everything that we do and, you know, like Ian, I'm, I'm really fascinated. I'm really happy that we had this discussion and hopefully it's the start of many discussions we have together. It's, you know, w with the things that you do in terms of your martial arts, in terms of you being a first responder, I think you're living your life in a way, you know, which is inspiring to me in the fact that you're, you're trying to help people in a way, and kind of being with the people in need. I think that's a, a really amazing thing. But the caravans thing, what is the caravans? So do you have a holiday park? Yeah, that's that's quite interesting because I I run a I ran a caravan park which I'm now converting into a luxury lodge park. Oh wow, so, I'm, wow. I'm so, definitely gonna have to visit. Where is this? Yeah, yeah. So so we're taking out all the caravans and we're replacing them with 40 luxury lodges and we'll be open all year. So 
So if I can find 40 Muslims that want to buy a luxury lodge, we could have our first Muslim community get a mosque put up in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. I mean, so are they holiday like lodges as in people buy them or they where someone goes off on holiday or? They will be up for sale. Yeah. But the the license we've now got is 11 and a half months. (laughs) Excuse me. So there's a very good chance that um, although people shouldn't be living in them, because we're open for 11 and a half months, people would spend a lot of time in them, if you see what I mean. Interesting. So, so where is this? Is, is, is it in Colchester or near Colchester? No, Harwich is, is actually on the coast. It's just outside Colchester. Okay. Um, it's a little, little seaside town. So, But the actual the actual park itself, you see, it'd be um, we're gated, so we have had a locked gate. So you'll, in effect, be in a small gated community of like 40, 45 luxury lodges. Is it overlooking the coast? We're we're about five minutes from the coast. Yeah, we don't actually overlook it, but we're 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 pretty close to the beach. Yeah, just a few oh, minutes away. It'll be yeah. it'll be a nice place to kind of visit the town. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, after yeah. lockdown, you know, it's it's in a way. I think I, I was reflecting over this, and loads of classes and loads of get-togethers are happening that maybe would have wouldn't have happened. And we have like this, you know, this global world at our fingertips because of the lockdown we can communicate with yeah. people but at the same time i think it's that human connection the face-to-face connection is what we're missing and yeah. it can be you know very challenging for some people you yeah. know not to have that so yeah. <laughs> stop flattering me stop it yeah. <laughs> i saw that one <laughs> you're so, very popular yeah, no. yeah 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 so yeah it was lovely to talk to you and just a final question what are and I asked this to uh, the couple of the other guests that we had on. So, what are your plans for the future, like in the next five, ten years, or however long Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives you? And we pray that Allah gives you a long life. Shall what are your plans? What do you want to achieve? Yeah, that's a good one of um, attention, obviously, into converting the park. But in regards to my own sort of spiritual journey, set in a sense. That really does bring home this uh, idea of faith in Allah. It really does because I've I've realised this. Like even when I came to to develop the park, in my prayers I thought, what what would I ask for? And I don't. I, I thought to myself, I don't really know what is out there and what's in front. So the best thing to ask for is that whatever whatever decisions my bosses make and whatever comes about with this park, that it's done in a smooth way and the transition is is smooth and it's done in a skillful way so for me i'd like to think that the next five to ten years i can deal with in a more skillful way than i've dealt with in my life before this point and that's that's all i really want to do in terms of planning things i think it's i think it's beautiful how he answered your question i felt almost with his dua your question of his vision he answered with his dua basically and i felt like the things that he'd ask Allah to help him with, I thought that was amazing, mashallah. It's the way to go. It's the way to go, definitely. Inshallah, Jazakallah khair. We'll end it with on there, inshallah. Sahil's here and it's pretty late, so we'll end him right now. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Good night. <laughs>